Hi, I'm Edwards Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. I want to share with you an inside story about St. John Paul II, something that not many people are aware of. It has to do with his World Youth Day in 1993. Now, he had been doing some World Youth Days before this. He did one in Europe, in Chestahova, another one in Europe, in Santiago, Spain, at the Tomb of St. James. He had done one in South America. But when he proposed coming to the United States, many of the U.S. bishops were skeptical. They didn't think the youth in the United States would come. They wouldn't be interested. Those other places are pilgrimage sites. We don't really have big pilgrimage sites here in the U.S., and people in the United States aren't used to pilgrimage. Why would youth in the USA want to come to a World Youth Day with the Pope? But he insisted he was still planning on coming, and they had a meeting where they were going to propose to him three different cities, three options that were farther out east. They chose, I believe it was Buffalo, Minneapolis, and Cleveland as three options of where World Youth Day could be. And they had a big map out, and they had those cities marked on the map. And he looked at each one, and he said, no, no, and no. And then he moved all the way to the far west, to Colorado, and there he put his finger on Denver and said, Denver. We're going to do World Youth Day in Denver. And everyone was shocked. (laughs) Why Denver? Denver's not a Christian city. It doesn't have any real strong Catholic roots. It's a very modern city. Uh, It's been described as a self-consciously modern city, uh, a very secular city, a modern secular city that prides itself in nature and hiking in the mountains, the beauty of the Colorado Rockies, and it prides itself in technology and entrepreneurial business. And and so it's a very modern, self-sufficient, secular city. Why? on earth would he want to do World Youth Day there? And so many people were skeptical. They didn't think it would work out. But JP2 chose Denver. He chose Denver for that event because he wanted to show that the gospel has relevance to the modern secular world. He described it as a a different kind of pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to the modern world, a pilgrimage to the secular metropolis. And and World Youth Day turned out to be such an amazing, amazing success, Uh, so much so that even uh, the cardinal, well, Cardinal Stafford, he was the archbishop at the time, uh, he was in in Rome shortly after World Youth Day 1993 in Denver, and he was walking down one of the corridors in the Vatican, and JP2 happened to come out of of a meeting room, saw Cardinal Stafford, went up to him, grabbed his shoulders, and gave him a big embrace and said, Il Rivoluzione! Il Rivoluzione! And then walked away. The revolution! The revolution! He said in Italian, and Archbishop Stafford was wondering, well, what is that all about? And he asked the Pope's secretary, and the secretary said, oh, ever since World Youth Day in Denver, he can't stop talking about Denver. He says that he used to think that the gospel would go from the east to the west, meaning from Europe, maybe, to to the west, to the United States. But after World Youth Day, he saw that the gospel was going to go from the west to the east that there was such religious faith, such response among the youth to the gospel message that they were going to be lit on fire to go spread that fire of faith around the world. I want to talk about this great man, John Paul II. I want to talk about the, the leadership that he offered, the spiritual leadership, the bold, courageous faith he had that has inspired so many. Maybe he's been a hero of yours. 
Have you, have you been moved by JP too? Inspired by him in your life? Do you remember him? Or maybe you're younger and you, you didn't really grow up with JP too, but you've heard the stories of JP too. Well, this week, the Catholic Church normally would be celebrating the feast of St. John Paul II on October 22nd, which is the anniversary of the day he began his papacy. But this year, it's a Sunday, so we don't have his feast day, but guess what? We're going to still celebrate it here on the All Things Catholic podcast. Uh, we're going to remember JP2 today. You ready to join me in this walk through the life of JP2, especially this pivotal moment at World Youth Day 1993? Well, let's begin. I'm Edward Sree. Welcome to All Things Catholic. Uh, I am just thrilled to be able to talk about JP2 particularly because he was one of the great saints we featured in the the new study that I have out. I've shared many times with you all about the When You Pray, Study a Clear Path to a Deeper Relationship with God. It was awesome to be able to walk in the footsteps of so many different saints from the early church, people like St. Benedict uh, of Norcia, uh, going all the way to medieval saints like St. Catherine of Siena and St. Francis of Assisi. But it was also really a a great joy to be able to walk in the footsteps of some of the modern saints like St. Faustina, uh, and in this case here, JP too. You know, on, on my Rome pilgrimage, I always begin my pilgrimages right there at the tomb of JP2, which is uh, toward the back of St. Peter's Basilica. When you walk into the church, it's on the second side altar uh, toward the on the right side on the back. You've got the Pieta on the far right, and then you've got JP2 uh, in the next area over there. And it's just a, a, a wonderful way, I think, to begin the pilgrimage. But normally, I don't know if you've ever been there to St. Peter's and you want to go pray at his tomb. There's always a lot of people wanting to go in and, you know, they don't allow you to take any pictures. You can't go pray as a group. You just have to go in quietly and pray by yourself. And you can't go all the way up and touch the tomb. And uh, so there, there's guards there. And, you know, they, they want people, they want to keep it a sacred place and be very respectful so that people can pray at the tomb. And I, so I get why they do that. But I always wish, oh, I wish I could just go up and touch the tomb. Oh, I wish I could go, you know, take some pictures. I wish I could just spend a little more time you know, praying in, as a group there. Well, when we were filming for the When You Pray study in Europe, we got special permission to film inside St. Peter's right in that chapel. And we got to go right up to the tomb. We got to, uh, I got to lead a group in there and we got to pray right at the tomb. It was just, uh, it was awesome. <laughs> it, was, it was a great gift. I'll probably never get that chance again uh, to get that close and spend that amount of time uh, there praying with with him. So, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that about JP2 that stands out for me is the the spiritual theme of trust. He was someone that inspired people to have greater trust in God. You know, he, he, he was a man himself that had such confidence in the Lord. You got the sense that's why he was so courageous in so many things he did, whether it was, you know, dealing with the Nazis and, you know, trying to, you know, be in the underground seminary or co- combating the, the, atheistic communist leadership in Poland all those years when he was a priest and then a bishop uh, and then a cardinal and then combating communism all around the world and uh, as as the pope and and then going you know, trying to keep people in a in a very crazy world from the 1960s onward where there's so much relativism secularism there's the sexual revolution and 
courageously calling people to truth, calling people to chastity, uh, calling people to live the Church's teachings on marriage and defending human life, going into uh, the Washington Mall in Washington, D.C., right there, you know, before the big Washington Monument packed with thousands and thousands of people and calling everyone to be pro-life and that America can't survive if it keeps killing its children. I mean, it was just like, he was just a courageous man that inspired others to be so faithful and trusting in God. Many leaders going through a time of crisis like that, they'd be like, oh, I don't know if I can go up against the communists. I'll just lie low. I'll just be quiet and try to do good things in hiding, you know, uh, in the underground, you know, which, which would be good in itself. Many people in their modern age today are afraid to stand up for truth. They're afraid. Like if I if I call people to the church's teachings on sexuality, if I talk about chastity in my homily, I'm gonna get people that will hate me. They won't give money to my parish anymore. A priest might be tempted to think. You know, or if I call people to follow the church's teachings on contraception, or if I call people to defend human life, uh, or defend the definition of marriage, these things, they're not popular. You're you're not gonna be liked. You're gonna be hated, you'll be misunderstood, you'll be opposed. JP two knew how hard it was going to be to stand up for truth. But he had courage. And his courage was founded not because he took some leadership class. (laughs) No, it was founded in Jesus Christ. He trusted God. He had such amazing confidence in God. And he trusted that if we proclaim the truth with love, with wisdom, with great patience and charity, compassion, with mercy, the truth will set us free. And he led from that conviction. How about you in your life? Do you lead your life from that conviction in God, that God is faithful, in God's revelation, that his plan, his moral law is there for our good and it will lead to happiness? Do you lead from the conviction that if we proclaim that moral law to our friends, our family, to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbor, our coworkers, if we share the truth that actually The gospel has power in and of itself. It's not my word. It's the word of Christ working through the truth. He is the truth that's touching those souls. JP too had such conviction, such confidence in God. I miss him. I miss him. And just even talking right now, as I'm talking with you, I'm just inspired in my own life to be more courageous, bold in sharing the gospel. You know, one of my favorite lines from JP too was, be not afraid be not afraid. How many times he said that over and over again because he saw that modern man was so afraid. Without God, modern secular man is left to himself just trying to lift the world on his own shoulders, just trying to manage everything, manage his family, his career, his finances, his status, how he's accepted in society, if people like him. Modern man is just so fraught with fear and anxiety because we don't have trust in God. We don't put our trust in the Heavenly Father for our lives. What is it that you're nervous about right now? Just take a moment right now. What, just, just think about that. What, what is it that you're anxious about? You're afraid. There's something in the future you're afraid about. What is that thing? I just want you to just imagine JP2, just his words, be not afraid. 
how encouraging that is when he says that. Be not afraid. Open wide the doors to Christ. Whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're stressed out about now, whatever is weighing you down, whatever is crushing your spirit, whatever you're anxious about in regards to the future, you're worried about for the future, whatever that is, GP2 says, be not afraid. Open wide the doors to Jesus Christ. Open them wide to him. Surrender that aspect of your life to him. He had such courage, such confidence. When, you, when you're around people that just have such confidence in God, oh, God, hey, God's going to work it out. It's going to be okay. God has a plan here. We can do this. We can share the truth. We could share the gospel. You know, there's, there's a great story of JP2. I'm going to give another inside story here. It's not as well known, but when he was a cardinal in Krakow, Poland, he served on a commission with Paul VI. Paul VI chose 12 people to help him think through the question of birth control. And, you know, the church has always taught that contraception was wrong and all Christian religions. I mean, it was almost across the board, all the Christians. It wasn't until 1938, the Anglicans were the first one to say contraception. Oh, we'll say that's okay. Uh, so it, it's seen in scripture, going back to the early church, always thought contraception was wrong, but something new was on the horizon. And they, the church was had to discern, what do we say about this? And that was the birth control pill. So what do we do about the pill? That was a different kind. So it was, you know, other forms of contraception in the past, it was very clear that that's wrong. But what about the pill? That's different. Let's see. And there were some Catholics that were saying, well, maybe there's a way we could say that's okay. There were some that were like saying, no, I don't think so. So before the Pope was going to teach on it, he wanted to get counsel. So he put together a commission. He had 12 different people on it. And 10 of the people on the commission came back to him and said, Holy Father, Yep, we think this is morally okay. You should just let people do it because if you say contraception is wrong and the birth control pill is wrong, I mean, everyone's going to leave the church. They're going to laugh at you. They're not going to follow you. Uh, this is going to be really hard to convince people this is okay. This is a problem, and you should just let them do it. So we're, here, here's some ways you're kind of you know we, we could say it's okay. That's what ten out of twelve people on this commission advised the Pope, Paul the Sixth. But there were two people on that commission that said, no, Holy Father, we agree with the other 10 that it's going to be hard. This is a really hard teaching. We agree that there'll be many people that aren't going to like this. And there may be many people that will leave the church over this issue. Many people that won't follow this teaching. But that's not what's primary. What's primary is, are we faithful to Jesus? Are we faithful to the truth? And as they had examined the issue, they said, it's very clear no, no, marriage, the marital act is meant to be open to life. This is a deliberate, intentional effort to, to break the openness to life within the marital act. And we could talk, by the way, I'm not getting into the topic of contraception, didn't plan on getting into that here. If you have questions on that, we'll talk about that in another episode. I'm not trying to give an explanation of why the church teaches contraception is wrong. That would be a fascinating topic maybe for another, another show. But, it, but I, what I want to highlight here is JP2's confidence. He knew this was the timeless teaching of the church. He knew that the right principles applied to this new thing called the birth control pill, that even though it was going to be a hard teaching, it was going to be difficult and there'd be a lot of animosity toward the church over this teaching. He had courage. He had courage in not himself, not in the wisdom of theologians, but courage in Jesus Christ that if we're faithful and we will proclaim this truth, it will inspire people to be faithful to who, who they are meant to be and to live marriage in the right way. So JP2, another, I mean, another wonderful moment in the backstory of his life 
where you see him going against the grain. He's willing to do difficult things. He's willing to stand up for truth in times when you would think no one's going to follow. So let's bring it back full circle to what happened in World Youth Day in Denver. Remember the bishops in America, many of the leaders in the church in America just didn't expect the youth, many youth would come. They really didn't think many would be interested in a pilgrimage, in a, uh, in a World Youth Day like they were in other countries. And they, they just said, oh, yeah, they're not, these young people aren't interested in some old pope from Rome. They're not going to come out for this. Well, well, do you know what happened? Were any of you there? I was there. I was there at the beginning of World Youth Day 1993. I was there in Mile High Stadium where there were 90,000 young people waiting for the Pope to come. It ended up that the big mass that they had, the final closing mass at Cherry Creek State Park, was the largest gatherings, uh, gathering of human beings ever in the state of Colorado. Uh, and so the, the youth came, and they came in droves. And, and, and they didn't just show up. They were so excited to see and welcome the Holy Father. There were the roar of the cheers from Mile High Stadium, so much so that when the helicopter that was bringing him there to the stadium was 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 coming down, there were so many cheers from the stadium. There was such turbulence, the helicopter had difficulty landing. And all the youth are crying out, John Paul II, we love you. John Paul II, we love you. It, it was incredible. And those days of World Youth Day in Denver, 1993, changed the world. Changed the world. In fact, John Paul II, you know what? He described this as one of the highlights of his pontificate, he said. This is one of the highlights of my pontificate, he said. In fact, it was the only photo he had in his dining room. He had a photo of his parents. He had a photo of World Youth Day. That's, that's all he kept. World Youth Day, 1993 in Denver was a pivotal moment in his pontificate, in the church, and the history of the world. That's what JP2 actually said. He called it a historic event. World Youth Day, 1993 Denver, historic event? I mean, 1492, Columbus discovers America. That's a historic event. Okay, 1776, the beginning of the U.S. Revolutionary War. Okay, that's a historical event. Uh, 9-11, that's a historic event. But World Youth Day, 1993? Historic event? Why did he say that? You see, JP2 had seen what was happening in the church and in the world, and that there was a, a generation that was not catechized well, that had not been as faithful, the faith wasn't being passed on. So he turned directly to the youth, youth that had been raised not in a Christian culture, but in a secular culture. And he wanted to show the gospel has relevance even in the secular world, that the gospel is truth. And if we present the truth joyfully, the youth will respond. He said to the youth of World Youth Day, at this stage in history, the liberating message of the gospel of life has been put in your hands and the mission of proclaiming it to the ends of the earth is passing to your generation. He turned to them and says, it's your responsibility to pass on the truth to the future. And he said to them, one of my favorite quotes from World Youth Day, he said, this is no time to be ashamed of the gospel. It is a time to preach it from the rooftops. And he inspired a whole generation to step forward and answer that call. And you think about what happened from World Youth Day 1993 to today. It's a, the, the Catholic world, especially in the United States, is so different. Before 1993, what parish had Eucharistic devotion, Eucharistic adoration? Very few did. Now so many chapels and beautiful churches being built and adoration chapels and Eucharistic adoration. 
so much bigger than it was back in the 1970s, 1980s. You think about back then, you know, most people were pro-abortion. And today, you have the, especially among the younger generation, more and more people are pro-life. We had the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That was incredible. Still much more battles to be fought, as we can see in our, in our own country and around the world, certainly. But there's hope for the future and the pro-life cause. Whereas back in 1993, 92, you would have just thought there's no way this will ever be overturned. You think about what was happening in the priesthood. Very few people were discerning the priesthood. Very few people going to seminary. It was a radical drop-off through the 70s and into the 80s. In fact, thousands of priests left. Hundreds of priests left the priesthood. Thousands around the world. And then you think, at least in the United States, how many new vocations there have been. Yes, there are a lot of dioceses that still struggle, but there have been more vocations in since JP2 World Youth Day 1993 than there were in the decade beforehand. You think of how many youth groups there are and youth movements, young people, young families, parents wanting to pass on the faith. The, again, there, there's a big cultural battle we're still waging right now, no doubt. But there are pockets of faith around the country that just weren't there pre-World Youth Day 1993. I think about a friend of mine, Curtis Martin. You may know him. He's the founder of Focus, dear friend. And I was with him when we started Focus in 19. 19- 98 at Benedictine College in Kansas. But he had this vision, this hope to do something for the youth. And he and I were there at World Youth Day together. He and I were there and we heard JP2 and we heard the call to go and proclaim the gospel. It's not a time to be ashamed of the gospel. It's a time to preach it from the rooftops. And I think of the courage my good friend Curtis had, still has, but certainly back then nobody believed him. They kind of laughed. You're going to try to teach college students to evangelize? You're going to try to teach Catholics to evangelize? Ha! Good luck at that. Uh, Catholics don't evangelize, you know, and the youth aren't going to respond. This isn't going to work. But he believed and trusted that if we are faithful, that's all that matters. We want to be fruitful. We want to be successful. We want it to work out. But God doesn't ask us to be successful. He asks us to be faithful. Whatever has been entrusted to us, are we faithful to that? And my good friend Curtis, he was entrusted with this vision in his heart, this dream, this desire to build something for college students, knowing so many young people when they go off to college, they're inundated with a secular worldview on their campus, lots of secular propaganda, and and they, they fall away from the church. So many fall away from the faith when they go off to college. And he started Focus there in 1998. He was there at World Youth Day 1993. Five years later, starts Focus at Benedictine College. And today it's on over 200 campuses around the United States and overseas in Europe, touching tens of thousands of people's lives every week and young people evangelizing their peers and training those peers to evangelize others. It's just incredible. There've been over a thousand priestly vocations from souls that have been touched by focus in the last 25 years. And today there's um, um, the association that promotes religious vocations for the U.S. bishops has told us that one out of four vocations, one out of four people in seminary today have been touched by focus, involved in focus in some way. Now, I'm not here to talk about focus. I just want to use that as one example of one of many countless 
amazing apostolates and organizations that have sprung up inspired by JP2 uh, in the last many years, whether it's people like Bishop Barron, the Augustine Institute, Ascension Press, uh, so many wonderful, great apostolates out there that are doing amazing things. My friends, many of you have been blessed by some of these apostolates. Many of you have been inspired by JP2. We are a part of something bigger, uh, bigger than ourselves. We really are. I think what JP2 did in his pontificate was to lead us with courage and reminding us, be not afraid and to open wide our doors to Jesus Christ, the doors of our hearts. And the more we do that, the more we will not be a slave to fear. So let's be men and women of great courage. Let's, let's be, if we're married, let's be husbands and wives of great courage to live fully our married lives, to see that as our primary vocation and to trust that if I give my best there more than my career, more than my favorite hobbies and sports teams and other things, no, no, it's, it's my marriage is primary. This is the primary place I encounter God. Let's have the courage to live that. Let's be men and women, if we're called to marriage, to be fathers and mothers of great courage, to lead our children in the faith to not be afraid of this world, but to form our children deeply in the, in, with deep roots in our Catholic faith, and even to, to teach them the tough teachings of the church, to teach them to, to pray, to teach them to follow God and give them confidence in God. Let's, let's pray for our parishes and let's lead in our parishes like JP2. Be not afraid. Open wide the doors to Jesus Christ. Let's not be men and women who are slaves to fear slaves to anxiety, slaves to worrying about what other people will think of us. Let's have confidence in Jesus, confidence in the gospel like JP2 had. Amen? Well, if you want to learn more about JP2 and his message about how not to be a slave to fear and anxiety, you can check out my my video series called When You Pray, A Clear Path to a Deeper Relationship with God. You can find, a, you get actually a free sample video. There's a little trailer on there, but you can get a free episode at ascensionpress.com slash when you pray. That's ascensionpress.com slash when you pray. So whether you're in a Bible study group or you have a men's or women's group or you you're work at your parish and you're doing faith formation, this is a, a, a study that opens up the Catholic tradition on the saints and the spiritual life. And one of the great saints we feature is the one we're celebrating today, St. John Paul II. Thanks for listening, my friends, and God bless.